You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. text is from Ephesians 3 verse 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long And high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in and through our lives. Um, We thank you for this word that you've given us, which is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray that you would just um, open us up to receive whatever it is that you have for us today. I pray that in our time together, that Holy Spirit, you would take this and make it alive in our hearts, that you would transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Brooke. I was uh, yelling at the downtown festival yesterday and uh, was yelling this morning, not at people, but singing. And so I feel like I'm I'm losing my voice. So in Madagascar, uh, there is a tree that the locals refer to as the tree of life. Its name is actually the baobab tree. And it can survive where little else can survive. It actually produces the most nutrient-dense fruit in the world. Its leaves have these healing elements in it, can actually heal wounds, and it has this uh, trunk that is hollow and yet sturdy, and so it serves as a shelter, this refuge from storms and predators. On top of that, uh, it has hundreds of seeds in its fruit, and so when it's dropped to the ground, when it's dropped on fertile soil, it actually can reproduce itself. So it can go from being this tiny little seed to this massive, resilient, life-giving tree. And as you look at that picture, I want you to know the reason I share that is because I think this is a picture of what a healthy church looks like. A healthy church, more than you measure it by attendance or or influence or anything like that, a healthy church is a battle-tested, resilient organism that provides, if you think about it, healing for the wounded, uh, food for the spiritually malnourished, and it's a safe place for the most vulnerable people, and it's multiplying. It's making disciples who make disciples so that we can continue to see God's kingdom come and will be done here as it is in heaven. And today for our 10th birthday, I think that we would be amiss if we didn't stop and celebrate the reality that we have seen God do this kind of work in and through our church over the last 10 years. I've had the privilege of being invited in 
Uh, to meet with uh, some of the Paragold School administration, uh, superintendents, principals, and uh, some of even the coaches who love Jesus and, and basically are like, hey, let's get together and let's brainstorm and pray about ways that we can help make disciples within our school district. It's pretty incredible that, that we have a school that's thinking uh, in, in these ways. And in one of the meetings, I know uh, Tim's up there running, running slides, so um, he was in, so you'll know, by the way, if he messes up, it's Tim Parrott, so um, sorry to call you out. But uh, <clears throat> anyways... Uh, he was there in one of these meetings where one of the principals said, you know, as I look back over the history of our city, I cannot think of a ministry that has done more for our city than what the Crossing Church has over the last 10 years. And he said that because of the stories of change that have continued to come out of this church because of stories of men, women, and children whose lives have been transformed as a result of what God has done over the last 10 years. And because I think it's easy to take that for granted, uh, as a way of just slowing down for a moment, I want to take just... If you'll give me just 10 minutes, I want to celebrate just in 10 minutes uh, uh, some of these stories that we've seen over the last 10 years as a way of just remembering God's faithfulness to us and just building our faith in him. And so I want you to just think for a moment, thinking back just to the people that were on the video. I, it's been good for my soul this week to, to stop and think about, you know, where would people like Brooke and BJ be if it wasn't for God's work in and through the Crossing Church? As Brooke shared in the video, when we met her, she was in the Agape house. She'd been in jail. She'd struggled with addiction. And because of the way uh, some of our church had loved another woman in the Agape house and cared for her, she was blown away by that. And so when she got out, rather than moving back to where she was in Mississippi, she just said, I'm going to root my life here. I don't even have any biological family in Paragol, but I'm going to stay here and be a part of this church. Eventually, her husband, BJ, he had also been in addiction. He had been in prison, served time there, was a gang leader uh, for a while, just was on a on a, on a dark path, but he meets Jesus. And so he reaches out to Brooke and says, hey, I want to try to restore our marriage. I want to get our kids back. I want to put Christ at the center. And she's like, okay, but if that's going to happen, you got to move to Paragold, Arkansas, which I'm sure you'd heard of many times, right? And so he, you know, in faith moves to Paragold. We get him a job at Allen Engineering where he has continued. He started out literally at the bottom of the towing pole and has climbed and climbed and God's given him favor and doing a great work there. Their kids have grown. They have a daughter that is now in college at UCA. Their son, Braden, who, by the way, won first place in the talent show yesterday in the downtown festival. So <clears throat> well done. Um, and, uh, even better than that, like every other week as a teenager, he runs sound for our church and just serves in this really incredible way. And Brooke also works for the church now and brings me water when she can tell I'm losing my voice. And so, um, man, God through this church has changed this family's life forever. He really has. Uh, I think about uh, Stephanie Kinder and I, and I, you know, as I watched that video, I, I asked myself, you know, where would she be if it was not for the work that God has done through this church? Like Brooke, uh, she now works full-time for The Crossing. And she told me just this past week, we were sitting in her office, and she said, you know, uh, if it wasn't for the men and women in this church who have walked with me through the darkest seasons of my life, I know I would have continued to harm myself, I would have fallen back into addiction, and most likely I wouldn't even be alive today. I think of Adam and Rusty. I'm so glad they took time to, to get on camera. You know, uh, most of you don't know this, but whenever Adam came here, he was like, hey, even if y'all don't hire me, like because of the panic attacks he was having, because of burnout from ministries, like I'm moving to Paragold and I'm going to be a part of this church and just heal for a while. So you can pay me if you want to, but I'm coming either way. And man, he 
radically like, like he, he impacted our lives in incredible ways over the last six years. But as he said in the video, y'all have impacted his life. Like you as a church provided a context for him to heal and to flourish and to realize his God-given potential. And now as a result, he's a part of this national ministry where he's able to impact hundreds of pastors all over the world. Rusty's story is, is a little different, but it's also similar in the fact that he had been passionate of a traditional church for 10 years, experienced some major burnout, really felt like he wasn't giving his life to anything significant. And so he found our church online, began to follow us. We connected. He moved his family across the country, worked at a factory here in town after being full-time as a pastor, took a, a massive pay cut, left their dream home they had just built, but they come here, they join the church, they go through a church planning residency, and then within three years, we sent them out to, start to plant the church, Matthew table, which is having incredible influence in East Tennessee today. I wonder where would people like Tim and Savannah Parrott be if it was not for what God has done to the Crossing Church. As Tim mentioned, uh, after being here a year, he became homeless, uh, lost his job, and somebody in this church moved him into the house, let him sleep in their home while he went back to school to get an education to where he could teach public school. And now he's there and has climbed up and is in administration. God's given him great favor there. Uh, he eventually met this girl named Savannah Walker who showed up to one of our MC meals. Her parents had been radically transformed by the ministry in this church. She was in a bad spot. They invited her over and over. Eventually she shows up. Uh, she ends up, uh, God ends up changing her life. She builds a friendship with Tim. They begin the date. They get married. They have this beautiful son, Hudson. Uh, Tim is an elder, serves in the worship team. Uh, Savannah obviously serves with him. She's also helping to build out a women's ministry we hope to launch within the next year. And God's using them in incredible ways within our church. And then there are all kinds of stories from people that we could not include in the video because we didn't have time, but their stories are no less powerful. And so, for example, I think of Steve and Gina Carpenter, Randy Luge Rogers, who were in our first service. When I first met them, I was at a fish fry, and uh, Steve came up to me, and he was like, hey, I heard you're planting a church, and was like, yeah. He said, you want some old people in the church? And, and at the time, I think we had like six 20-something-year-olds, and I was like, let's see, like older, stable people who actually can tithe? Absolutely. Like, I would like for you to be in the church. We're going to need all the help that we can get. And they come into our church and listen, y'all, most of y'all don't even know this story. They're, they were so shaped by the gospel and what Jesus was doing for them. They sold their vacation home in Branson and used the proceeds to feed the poor in our city. Um, there was a time where our missional community was giving away over 200 boxes of food a month. And each box was 20 pounds of food. And I remember there was a, a time where uh, we had these church planters from Grand Rapids, Michigan that came down to spend time with us to learn from our church. Which, by the way, side note, y'all don't even get to hear that kind of stuff, but, but that's fairly normative. Like, 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 a matter of fact, next week, I've got a meeting Brooke has set up with me with a pastor from Australia who knows about our church, who hears about what's going on here, and just wanted to spend time with me basically kind of sharing what we're doing here. And so we have these other ministries all over the world who kind of are looking at y'all and, and learning from y'all. And in this case, uh, these church planters from Grand Rapids showed up. They wanted to meet Steve, so I took him to Restore, which is the name of the food ministry. And they just asked him, like, how did he get started? And he told him, he's like, look, over the last 25 years, I've been a deacon of a General Baptist church. But he said, I've done more work in the last year at the crossing than I've done in the previous 25 at that. He said, it's not because of obligation. It's not because the pastors are twisting my arm, but it's all because of grace. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. And this is just an overflow of that. I think about Alicia Chambers, who was on the front row. And by the way, if you're getting nervous, because if you're like, is he going to say my name? Uh, I asked everyone for permission before I shared this stuff. So just know that. 
Um, but whenever we met Alicia, uh, she had just uh, been divorced. She was doing the best she could to raise her children on her own, but by her own admission, she was lonely and she was depressed and she was making some really bad decisions that were leading to some really big consequences. But then she found the Crossing Church and she found a place where she could be vulnerable, a place where she could be honest about her sins and about her weaknesses and failures and flaws and know that it won't be held against her. And as a result of bringing some of these really kind of gnarly things into the light, the power began to be cut off. She began to receive healing and freedom from this stuff that was robbing her of the life that Jesus wanted her to have. I think about Shay Alstead, and I wonder where would he be if it was not for the Crossing Church and the ministry God has done here. You know, Brandon and Hillary Treat were sitting right here in the first service, and, and the reason the Alsteads showed up is because they were living next door to Brandon and Hillary Treat, and they just made the simple invitation. It's usually that, a simple invitation to come join us on a Sunday. Uh, Emily showed up with her kids, but Shay wanted nothing to do with it. He was agnostic at best, meaning he believed in a God, but he did not believe Jesus was God, did not believe Jesus was Lord and Savior. Um, but Emily kept showing up and he thought, okay, I guess I just need to be a good dad and be there with my kids. And so he comes somewhat reluctantly, but he continues to hear like this preaching over and over where we mention the gospel. We talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit plucks his heart. He surrenders his life to Jesus. We baptize him and though they've moved to North Carolina recently, he continues to the best he can lead and love his family as Christ would call him to do. I think about people like Karen Dillon, Many of you know Karen and, and, and Jody of the day was just, I was talking about this and he said, where would we be if it was not for the Crossing Church? I mean, Karen, before coming here, she was not a Christian. Uh, she was on a dark path of destruction, but then God used this church to introduce her to Jesus. And then through her DNA and her missional community that she plugged into, she began to grow over the years in her relationship with God, her husband, and others. I think about Chris Rose, who was just up here leading He was invited by Kyle Lane back here to just come to an Easter service. Again, a simple invitation. And he shows up. After that, he gets involved in in the missional community that Megan Megan and I were leading at the time. Uh, He gives his life to Jesus. He's baptized. He begins to grow in his relationship. And then from out of nowhere, this woman, Valerie, shows up somewhat reluctantly to our missional community. And I say reluctantly because of just some of the baggage she had from her past. She used to be married to a prominent pastor in town, but then there was a divorce. Things did not end well. And she just kind of felt like there was this kind of cloud over her or a sign, like, you know, like, oh, this is damaged goods, or she's going to always be kind of the spiritual outcast. They're going to hold that against her. But she shows up, and rather than being met with condemnation, she's met with compassion. And because of the love of the members in that MC, it helps soften her heart, help her to let down those guards that probably she had built up in order to protect herself. And as a result, she began to grow in her relationship with Jesus and eventually grew in a relationship with Chris. They developed a friendship, uh, began a date, they got married, and today they lead worship together at times, they host our MC many nights, uh, do a phenomenal job of cooking. They're like the best like combination of cooks ever. That's kind of how I pick my MC, by the way, as I look at who's, who the cooks are. And, uh, and they're good friends to me and Megan, and so uh, love them dearly. And then I just think about the many stories of, of, you know, drug addicts who have been set free, who have found freedom because of ministries to this church. I think of people uh, like Nick Matthews and others who have been rejected by society but found a home here. If y'all did not get a chance, by the way, to hear Nick's testimony a couple weeks ago when he was baptized, go back on Facebook and find it. Uh, Nick was actually homeless whenever he made his way into our church, um, had been really kind of rejected by his family, especially his earthly father, which really kind of cut him deep. But it was through your love that for the first time ever, he experienced the love of the perfect heavenly father. 
And so he surrenders his life to Jesus. And I love this picture. This was sent to me. I think Chris, she might have been the one that sent this to me. I can't remember. But, but after his baptism, uh, this was him meeting with one of our missional communities, and they surprised him with a birthday cake as a way of just saying, welcome to our family. I think of the Muslims in our community, um, and I wonder if it was not for the crossing church, like how would many of our Muslims in the city have heard the gospel? This is Tamrat and Hafiza. I love how Tamrat is clearly in cool mode in this photo, by the way, refused to take off his glasses. Um, but Tamrat and Hafiza, y'all have seen them. They've popped in and out of our, our service on a Sunday on many occasions. And not just this, but, but they, along with I think literally probably 40 to 50 different Muslims from all different parts of the world, have had meals around our tables and have heard the gospel. right? All because of what God is doing in and through the crossing church. And then there's just kind of weird, creative, I don't even know where to file it type stuff, where it's like our church launches the Paragold podcast, which we, by the way, view as a ministry. It's a creative way for us to connect with people who would never otherwise come into our building if it was not for them coming to record a podcast. And Robert was sharing with me recently how, you know, we've only been doing this a year and a half, but we've already had over 80,000 downloads. And so think about that, like 80,000, like that is way more than we get from just our preaching podcast, as much as I hate to say it. Um, but people who are tuning in, and if you ever listen to this podcast, you know they get an opportunity from time to time to hear the gospel and to get to know me in a context that isn't here, knowing that I'm a pastor. And this is significant because, listen, and again, you guys are a part of this. Like our church helps fund things like this. But just two weeks ago, I had a man... He had come on the podcast. He had never been a part of a church, uh, did not trust, has not trusted Jesus, certainly didn't trust pastors, uh, had been hurt by some of them, so I understand his fear. Um, but he said, you know, I can tell you're a little different. We got the know each other through the podcast, and I was like, you're right, I am a little different. And so um, he was on what we felt like was his deathbed two weeks ago. This 80-something-year-old man reaches out to me. It's actually while I was preaching. I got a text message uh, uh, from his daughter and was like, could you please come over? Daddy wants you to pray for him. And so I go over there, I spend a few hours at his house, it was the day before Labor Day, end up praying with him, uh, sharing the gospel, and before I left, he confessed with his lips that Jesus is Lord and that Christ, or that his hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. And there are so many more stories that I can share, but here's just my point. My point is just this, over the past 10 years, we have seen God, guys, do a great work in and through this church. In many ways, like we really have been like that baobab tree. Like we have provided food for the, the malnourished, both physically and spiritually. We have watched God heal the sick. Like we have watched him literally like, like, like in the moment physically heal people and we've seen him spiritually heal people. We have been able to provide a safe place for the most vulnerable and we've been able to multiply, to make disciples, who make disciples, to launch missional communities and even plant a church. And with all that being said, like my hope truly is that we're just getting started. Like, I hope on our birthday we can look back at the last 10 years in celebration, but I also hope we can look forward with great expectation. You know, as pastors, we have been spending a lot of time praying and thinking about what the next 10 years could look like. And here's just a few things that, that we want to see happen. And this isn't all of it, but I just want to share some of this with you. You know, because we want to be a community of healing, not just here within our community, but beyond, uh, within the next 10 years, one of the things we hope to do is to launch a Christ-centered clinically effective inpatient rehab for recovering addicts. And so, thank you. <clears throat> a comprehensive rehab where truly core issues are being dealt with and people are experiencing like lasting hope and healing that only Christ can provide. Because we want to continue to be a church uh, that provides a safe place for the most vulnerable population, 
Uh, we want to become holistically pro-life. Like we don't just want to vote pro-life. Like we want to be sure that we're putting more time, more energy, more resources than ever into foster care, into adoption, and into mentoring. Because we don't simply want to meet physical needs, but we want to meet spiritual needs. Um, we want to provide people with a food that will sustain them and fulfill them through all eternity. We want to make sure every member is being trained in effective power evangelism, like we actually see in the book of Acts. And because fewer and fewer people are going to show up here on a Sunday morning, just like look at the trends throughout the country and look at what's coming, because fewer and fewer people are going to show up here to hear the gospel, like we want to train you to take the gospel forward, to live as effective, powerful missionaries in your places of work, your neighborhoods, your schools, and circles of influence. And then, of course, we want to multiply. Like, I personally, we as pastors want to see us go from having 18 missional communities, which is what we have now, to one missional community per thousand people in our city. Like, that is our dream. Like, we want to be able to see, like, like, like missional communities actually living on mission, being light in dark places. And, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but we want to plant another church, either here in this city or very close to this city. And so, um, as much as it feeds my ego to just be like, hey, let's just try to grow and get more and more people in this room. That's not the way you measure success. Success is not measured by addition, but by multiplication. And the stats are clear. Like if we want to reach people, the most effective way we can reach new people, not just get transfer goals from other churches, but truly reach new people and see them enter into the kingdom of God is through planting new churches. And if you hear some of that, and there is more, I didn't share all of it, but if you hear that, you're like, wow, that's a lot. Like in the next 10 years, like Jared, did you hear yourself? Like you want to start a rehab. Uh, you want to see us become holistically pro-life. Like that's going to take a lot of energy and effort. You want us to engage in, in powerful, effective evangelism. You want to establish one missional community per thousand people in this city. I mean, that sounds like a pretty impossible, honestly, somewhat even laughable dream. And if that's kind of your thought, like I totally agree with you. Like this does sound, even as I say it out loud, I'm like, that sounds pretty impossible, even laughable. And this is why I want to end our time today by looking at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter three. And if you're nervous because you're like, you've been talking 15 minutes and this is your first time to get into the text, we're in trouble. Um, I promise you, I'm going to move through this much faster than what I would a normal sermon. But here's what I want you to see as, as we look at Paul's prayer. If you want to become a resilient disciple of Jesus, like if you want us to be a resilient, life-giving church, if we are going to become truly increasingly like that baobab tree, strong, resilient, flourishing, no matter what, how harsh the environment gets around us, if we're going to be a people who truly increasingly provide healing and feeding and protection and we're multiplying out influence, then you need to know, listen, none of this is going to happen through willpower and none of this is going to happen through a program, but it is only going to happen as a result of prayer. And that is what we're seeing right here in Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, think about this context, guys. He is in prison. He has been beaten. He has been abandoned. His life from the outside looking in seems to absolutely be falling apart. But rather than complaining, he is praying. And here's what's crazy to me, guys. Think about this. He's not even praying for himself. He's praying for you. And he is essentially praying that you would experience the fullness of the Christian life. That you would go from just basically knowing God up here 
to experiencing God with your entire being. He's praying that you would have such an encounter with God's presence that it would change the way you live for the rest of your life. This is what Paul prays specifically for the church in Ephesus. It's what I've been praying for you and will continue to pray for you. And the reason I'm praying this is because, guys, in essence, this is what happened to me when I was 20 years old. I used to, I, I, some of you, most of you knew this, I grew up in a church where my dad was my pastor, which means I didn't get to skip church. I was there every Sunday morning. I was there every Sunday night. I was there every Wednesday night, fever, chills, whatever else. That's just, we're going to be there together. I grew up hearing the gospel. I truly did hear the gospel. We read scripture together. My parents would pray over me, but it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I went from knowing about God to experiencing God in a real life-changing, tangible way. And there is a major difference between those two. And because Paul knows that it's very possible for you to sit here today and once again hear another sermon and once again sing some songs and once again intellectually assent to, yes, this is who God is, but still miss out on the fullness of the Christian life. Because he knows it's very easy for you to sit here right now and know everything I'm about to say but not actually experience it. He prays a prayer that is meant to shake apathetic and bored Christians out of a life of cynicism and spiritual mediocrity. And here's how he prays. Look with me in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Father, Guys, I'll say this and move on. Posture matters when you pray. As you, have you noticed how our, our worship leaders, I've asked them to do this the last few weeks, to slow us down when we pray and give people an opportunity to posture their body. It's okay if you don't move, if you want to get on your knees, sit, raise your hands, whatever. But all through the scripture, we see posture matters. We have 43 recorded prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Only twice does he tell us how he would position his body when he prays and he would get on his knees. The greatest missionary to ever live apart from Christ powerful man, but would get on his knees as a way of remembering to align his heart with the truth that I need God. I cannot do this in my own power. And so here he is, the cold, hard floor beneath his knees, his elbows on his cot. And because he has experienced everything himself that he's about to pray for us, here's what I just want you to notice. Even if you're not a Christian today, admire how free Paul is. He's in prison, but he's more free than probably most of us in here. He is free, he is resilient, he is other-centered. Notice how despite facing incredible hardship, he is still filled with faith, he is still filled with hope and love. And so rather than praying for a release from prison or for God to make him more comfortable or for a fair trial, he prays for you. And here are the three things that he prays. One, that you will be strengthened by the Spirit's power. Two, that you will grasp the love of Christ. And three, that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. I want to say a very short word on each. I'll draw some implications and then we'll be done. First, Paul prays that you will be strengthened by the Spirit's power. In verse 16, he says, I pray that God would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Guys, if we are going to accomplish the work that God has given us, If we are going to see this dream go from being a dream to a reality, you have to understand it is not going to happen in your power. It's certainly not going to happen in my power, but it will happen to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a good place to amen. 
This is what Paul is getting at here. That God's work is always accomplished in God's power. And therefore, because that is true, listen, this is good news to you today. When it comes to the mission of God, the pressure is off. The pressure is off. For some of you, like, maybe you hear me talk about mission and vision and these things we want to accomplish, and immediately you're starting to feel overwhelmed and anxious. Because you know that you've got kids to raise. You've got a job to work. You've got bills to pay. You've got your own junk and anxiety and depression and stuff like that that you're working through. And you want to travel. You want to have a social life. You want to do all of these things. And you're like, Jerry, listen, I can barely survive all of that, much less give myself to a vision as big and grandiose as the one that you have shared. And you see, because Paul knows that is true, he says, I'm going to pray that you will be strengthened in the Spirit's power. Guys, read the Bible, and this is, this is the way it works. God's people eventually will come to an enemy army that was either too large or waters that was too deep or a task that was way too heavy or a mission too intimidating. They would cry out to God, and then God's Spirit would empower his people to do what was only possible with himself. And after years of ministry, I'm finally starting to realize, like, this is the point, that God wants us to live lives that when we live them, that he gets glory for them. Like he wants us to live in such a way that people look at your life and don't say like, wow, look how amazing this person is. But they look and say, clearly God must be at work. And then in the words of Jesus in John 15, they look at the fruit of your life and give glory to God. Like that's the point. Whenever we decided to plant this church, I remember um, people would come to me and they would say, you know, how are you going to do this? And I'd say, I have no idea. I just know God's calling me to do it. I remember my first assessment through Acts 29, which is the assessment we had to take before we planted the church. We're sitting in this conversation, within this, um, this interview. It's been going about two hours, and this one guy looks at me, and he says, all right, now, tell me about your fundraising strategy. It's like, church takes money. Tell me about your fundraising strategy. And I was like, looking at Megan, I was like, I don't have a fundraising strategy. And he said, well, you're never going to make it. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, that video where you saw where I actually had dark hair, right? <laughs> Uh, no beard. If you would have watched that video, even the edited version was confusing. Like I was trying to cast vision and I couldn't even articulate what God had put in my heart. And the reason I share that is just to say, listen, despite my own ignorances, failures, flaws, and shortcoming, God was still able to do a great work as we see today. And the reason I share that is not at all to brag on me. Like if you know me, clearly you know, like this, none of this was because of me. And, and, and so if you're sitting there and you're like, man, I feel like I'm not good enough. Like, I feel like I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not charismatic enough. I can never speak like that or I can never do ministry like this. Then you are just the kind of person God wants to use to do incredible things through you for the good of others and for the glory of his name. Look at the life of Jesus' disciples and they're impossibly slow-witted. They just never seem to get it right. They are the not good enough. They are the B team. They are JV at best. If you read the Gospels, you're like, how in the world is Jesus going to entrust the Gospel? How is he going to entrust the mission of these people? And yet, what happens in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit falls on them and everything changes. Peter goes from being so scared of a little girl that he denies Jesus three times to preaching the Gospel with boldness and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And there are so many other examples that I could point to in the Scripture like that, but here's just my point and I'll move on. God loves to empower ordinary people to do extraordinary things through his Holy Spirit. See it all down throughout church history.
And so Crossing Church, just one of your pastors, here's my prayer. Over the next 10 years, that man, each of you would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would be filled with this divine energy where it is unmistakable that it is God's energy. An energy that you know is not because you do intermittent fasting or because you drink coffee or a Red Bull or got a good night's sleep, but that truly, maybe you for the first time, will experience God's power in a tangible way and people will know that only he is the one that is doing what he is doing. You know, Jesus said in this life we're going to have many troubles. Our hope over the next 10 years is not that Jesus is going to pull us out of those troubles, but here is the hope you do have. He will parachute into the middle of those troubles. And Paul says through faith in verse 17, in the spirit, he will dwell in your hearts. And so you can know with a tangible, a tangible way, you can know that Jesus through his spirit is in you. And therefore, no matter what obstacles come your way, no matter what hardships come your way, you can continue to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. And this is the first thing that Paul prays. And secondly, and I'll move much quicker, he also prays that you will grasp the love of Christ. This is huge. This is huge. In verse 18, he says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, listen to this weird line, and I pray that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, I'm praying that you know what's not knowable. Seems kind of like a weird line. I'm praying that you will know the unknowable. He said, I'm praying that you will know Christ's love in such a way that it will finally move from intellectual, like, yeah, 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 I know, preacher, God loves me, to actually settling down into your heart in a real and tangible way that you can't even put into words. Paul says, I pray that you will grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I've been praying for each of you that you will experience how wide Jesus' love is for you. How wide is his love? Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. No matter who you are or what you have done or how far you have strayed, the love of Christ is so wide that it can bring even the worst of sinners into intimate friendship with him. I pray that Crossing Church that you will experience the length of Christ's love. And how long is that love? Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Guys, the love of Christ is as long as you live. His love is infinite. And you can trust that if he started a work in you, he is going to bring it to completion. He's not going to give up on you. I pray that you will experience the height of God's love. And how high is it? Ephesians 2.5 says it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Because of God's grace, if you have trusted in Jesus, no matter how low you feel, you have been raised to the highest of heights. Even if your feet are firmly planted on the ground right now, you have been seated spiritually in the eternal heavenly realms with Jesus who rules and reigns over all things. And I pray that you'll experience the depth of God's love. How deep is that love? Philippians 2, 8 says that being found in the appearance as man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Every other religion in the world teaches that you have to work your way to God. Every religion 
except for Christianity. It says that God has worked his way to you. And how has he worked his way to you? He worked his way to you by leaving heaven and coming down, 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 all the way into the depths of this world, in the depths of your mess, into the depths of your sin, into the depths of your brokenness. And then he went to the cross where he would pay the penalty for your sins. While you were still a sinner, Paul said, Christ died for you. And then he went to the grave. He was buried, but three days later he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that now if you will trust in him, you can experience this love in an unknowable way. You can know that this is not just an abstract love, but this is a love that is deep and as durable as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I pray that you will know Christ's love in such a way that it surpasses knowledge. Then finally, verse 19, I pray that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The truth is, I know some of you in here, you've only been a Christian for 30 days. Some of you in here, you've been a Christian for over 30 years. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, I can promise you this. You have barely scratched the surface of your Christian experience. Some of you feel like you've experienced the fullness of the Christian life. And it's pretty underwhelming. I want you to know if that is where you are, there is so much more to God to be had. So much more. Paul says, I pray that all of you will experience all of God, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And if I can be honest with you, I read probably 10 commentaries on this, and I'm still not really sure I fully understand it. Because like this doesn't make sense to me. Like How can a, how can a, a mortal, finite being like me be filled to the fullness of an eternal God. You see how that's just so confusing? It's like you talk about a a laughable dream. Like that is an impossible, laughable prayer request that Paul just made for you and me. And if you're sitting here, you're like, yeah, that does seem pretty impossible. Like I don't know how that could ever happen. Well, that's the point. Because ultimately it sets up how Paul ends his prayer. And this is where we will end today in verse 20. Now to him, he says, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In short, here's what Paul is saying. You cannot ask God for more than what he can give. And... You cannot imagine more than he can actually do. God God is limitless. He is eternal. And therefore, there is no way that we could ever dream up all that he could do in our limited imaginations. And I just want to ask today, like, and no condemnation, like, you're welcome here, like, no matter how you came into the room, but like, do you really believe anything I just said today? Again, totally welcome. I love you whether you say yes or no. But like, be honest. Like, is this just preacher talk to you? Like, yeah, that was pretty good. I kind of like that story, that sort of thing. Like, all right, let's go. Like, like do you really believe this? Because if so, I'm telling you, it's going to change everything. Like, do you believe God can do more than you could ever ask? Like, seriously, like, do you believe that 
that he could do more than you could ever imagine. Like it makes me sad that honestly, like for some of you, I really think that you have believed the lie from the enemy that you've experienced as good as the Christian life can possibly be. And it's really not been that amazing. And you just have, have come to this like, this idea that this is as good as it gets. There's never any more to the Christian life. There's never any more to God. I'll just kind of, this will be my life until I go to heaven someday. Uh, do you truly believe that God can do greater? Uh, do you believe that he can accomplish, the, the, like the vision I just shared, the rehab, all that, like, like he can do that plus so much more in us and through us over the next 10 years? Some of you, like maybe you're, like, you're listening to me talk and you're like, you know what this sounds like to me, Jared? It sounds like, like, like a pastor who's just trying to like, like, like some sort of like spiritual pep rally on a birthday, just trying to get us all excited, get us kind of fired up, like, yay, God. If that's you, like, rest assured, if you couldn't tell by how much I've changed over the last 10 years, any, like, youthful, naive optimism that I've had has been beat out of me over the last 10 years. I'm saying what I'm saying, not because I'm some naive 20-something-year-old anymore who has this wishful thinking. I'm saying it because through all of the trials and through all of the hardship and the disappointment that I have a deeper conviction than ever that God's word is true. That God really is who he says that he is and will do what he says he's going to do. The question is just, are you going to take him up on his offer? Whatever you can ask, he can do more. Whatever you can imagine, he can do more. My prayer is that each of you will actually begin to believe that that God will enlarge in your small vision of him and what he can do and that you will begin to believe that truly he can do things greater in you and through you than you ever thought possible. You know, I was sharing this with the early service and, um, you know, my wife can vouch for this. Whenever I, I surrendered my life to, to pastoral ministry, I told her, I said, you know, kind of my, my vision is that I just want to go pastor a little country church. Like that's my hope and just preach the gospel, love on some people, die and be forgotten. Like that was just honest to God. That like, you wonder like, was, what was my vision? Like that was my vision. And so like none of this, I promise you, was ever a, a part of my vision. None of it. God has truly done more than I could have ever asked or imagined. And my hope is that you will believe that more and more over the next 10 years. And that as a result, man, God's going to do things in you and through you that only he can get the glory and the credit for. But this is only going to happen through prayer. Uh, I, I have no reason to believe that there's anything that I did today or any example or illustration I gave that somehow flipped a switch for you that made any of this any more real in your life than what it was before you walked through the doors. And that is because I truly believe this stuff can't be talked into you. It has to be prayed into you. And so here's what I want to do. Um, and this may be somewhat humiliating for some of you as the, as the band can go ahead and come forward. Um, I want to invite you to take the posture that Paul teaches us here in Ephesians 3. If you're physically able right now, I want to invite you, if you will, just to get on your knees where you are. Uh, you can put your hands or your, your elbows on the chair if that helps you. But just if you're physically able, if you're not, that's fine. No judgment. If you're physically able, just to, to take a moment to get on your knees where you are. And then I just want to pray 
Ephesians 3 over you. I know that we have some, by the way, some really important people in the room today. I understand that. We also have some that are like, if I was to die this week, nobody would even know. And one of the things I love about this posture is it puts us all in the same playing field. We all come and say, Jesus, we need you. We need you. There's nobody else in here better than the other person. Like, we all stand in need of you, Jesus. And with this posture, I just want to, I want to pray this prayer over you. And if you're preparing communion, by the way, you can go ahead and come up and, and and get those elements uh, prepared. But with nobody else moving around, just adopt this prayer in your heart. Make this your prayer. Like maybe you have little faith right now. Maybe you have little strength. Maybe you don't feel the tangible love of God. That's okay. Like this prayer is especially for you. If you do already feel those things, then pray this for the church, pray this for others. I want to pray this, and when you're ready, you can come after we're over, and you can take of communion either here in the front or in the back, whatever serves you best. For this reason, Father, we kneel before you. And we pray that out of your glorious riches, would you please strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we would be rooted and established in love and that we would have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp just how wide and how long and high and deep is your love, Jesus. And to actually know this love in a way that surpasses knowledge. And that we would be filled to the measure of all of your fullness. Father, we pray this to you. Because you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to your power that is at work within us. And we pray that to you and you alone will be the glory in our church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.